vampires have always been erotic, but the Lost Boys made them sexy, edgy, cool. It's a film that is so 80s and yet so timeless. This movie also teaches you that if you look and stare at a girl and make eye contact and she runs away from you, maybe don't follow her. <laughs> this is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. The Lost Boys is about a family, fresh from a divorce, who moved to Santa Clara and quickly realized the town has its quirks, and instead of starting a new life, they might be truly ending their old one. And let me just sum up the quirks part. Yeah, it's just vampires. Yeah. Um... So, Riley, how does The Lost Boys stack up for you in the realm of vampires? Because for us, you know, vampires have always been around all the way back to Dracula and the beginning of of, of cinema and horror films. But I think The Lost Boys took it a new direction. Now, you've had vampires pretty much your whole life in cinema with Twilight and, of course, your favorite TV show. The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I have always been that weird emo girl. Not emo, but, like, that girl that was really into vampires and thought, like, oh, I would definitely love that. But... <laughs> what, to, to be become a vampire? Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> you literally just, like... And I like how The Vampire Diaries explains it and how there's loopholes and all this stuff. This, I... The, the vampire part that I like about it is that like, I was having an argument with my friend Addison the other day. He got heated for no reason because we were talking about, like, some something to do with vampires. And he was like, no, vampires don't make sense because, like, they suck someone's blood and that that person either turns into a vampire or dies. And I was like, no. <laughs> I watched The Vampire Diaries. It doesn't work like that. They can bite you, and they can suck blood from you. They don't have to drain you or kill you. Like, they don't have to. And to become a vampire, you, like in this movie, you have to drink the vampire's blood, and then you have to, like... And then in the Vampire Diaries, you die. And then if that vampire blood's still in your system when you die, then you have 24 hours to feed on someone and have human blood, or you're dead. Okay, those are some good vampire so, rules. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's why I like this movie, because they, they didn't... The only reason I didn't like it with the vampire part is that, like, they murdered them, which I feel like, as a vampire, you don't have to necessarily do. You, you mean that at the end of the film, the Frog Brothers and Sam and, and uh, Michael all murder the... No. No, okay. No, when, mean- they, when <laughs> they take Michael to the beach area and there's that party going on and then they just rampage and kill everyone. Right. Like, that's not how that should work. Like, the vampire stuff, like, why would you well, let everyone a- know that you're a vampire? Like, well, they didn't. They killed everyone. They killed everyone. And that's what we saw, right? That there were all these missing signs. Yeah. That all of these people have disappeared. And we did see that Laddie was on a milk carton that he was missing and he obviously is one that they chose to spare. Yeah. But they all, you know, we don't know what they're doing with their bodies because nobody coming up murdered they're just coming up missing yeah see i wanted more ex like with this movie the only reason i wasn't super into it is they didn't explain anything mm-hmm. like in the beginning i was just like i'm so confused and like yeah that's the kind of the point because everyone's confused because they just moved here we don't know what's happening yeah it's mysterious but you they, don't know what's happening yeah with but Michael they never explain it and then in the movie whenever he asks like they're like oh i can't tell you <laughs> or, like, I can't tell you what to do. Like, I can't tell you what you are. I can't tell you, like, what you drank. Like, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that was the one I mean? thing. Star did come up behind Michael and say, it's blood. You know, yeah. and he drank it anyway. And then later he was like, how could you let me 
drink that. And I thought, no, she, she said, Michael, you don't have to. Don't. It's blood. <laughs> yeah. So, like, and if you know anything about vampires, like, that's how you turn into a vampire. Drink some of this, Michael. Be one of us. scene is interesting that the the moment that happens on the beach at the bonfire um i have a theory about that um so you know we we see that uh, part part of the story there's a this this movie's got a lot going on okay there's a lot of metaphors for what's happening one is that you know the 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 vampires are representing sort of the others the misfits the people on the outside of society yeah. and in the 80s punks were those people you know you you had um, guys in mohawks a lot of disenfranchised you know feeling youth i guess um that were acting out by being sort of you know, troublemakers, and um, uh, and 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 with that, by the way, are skinheads. And skinheads could be neo Nazis, or they didn't have to be. It was a little confusing, but the point is, is that they were their their personality was a little bit bent on being a menace to society. Yeah. And so, even if you weren't, even if you were, and and, the, and by the way, part of my friend group fit into this category, okay? So I'm just going to say the skinhead that I knew, his name was Kelly, and I don't believe he was a neo-Nazi. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know him that well. He hung out with my skater friends. But anyway. Um, a lot of skaters are skinheads, just a heads up. Oh, like, really? Or they all buzz their heads at some point in their life. But are they neo-Nazis? No. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so that is something that was happening. So I think... Part of what that bonfire scene, because, you know, it's, they are, David and the vampires are villainous, but there is a part of us that still needs to feel for them a little bit. Um, And so I think that them killing, you know, a bunch of uh, people who are trying to disrupt uh, what's the way to say it? Uh, uh, you know, neo-Nazis. Because, right, the skinhead's the one who gets it right in the skull, right? You yeah. see him, like, really, he gets munched down on, and yeah. you get a lot of close-ups Yeah, exactly. That's, so he's that, not that was, sympathetic, That was another point. part, that was another part of it about, like, the vampire stuff. Like, they, they are supposed to drain your blood. And what did they do? They bit his head. <laughs> like, what are you, like, that's not right? what the bloodstream it's like, is. It's the drumstick, right? <laughs> It's kind of like the round. It's probably the media. I don't know. It's probably it's do- it's not the media. It's not the media. It's, it's not the, the brain medias. chewy. I don't know. How but exactly. But his fangs can't get <laughs> not through, a medical like, student. School. I don't know. Like that just was like <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, <laughs> right. But you're taking your assumptions from Vampire Diaries, which I you know I'm sure that they've they done the research. They explain every okay. single. They explain werewolves, witches, doppelgangers, vampires. Every single thing that's on the mythical side. Does like, it help you? everything. So there is a lot that's not explained. And I yeah. think that there are... I think that... 
there are different approaches to movie making. Some is to lay it all out for you, to tell you, and some of it is, which I kind of, which I enjoy, is letting you figure it out, letting it dawn on you, and most importantly, let it, let you see what you want to see. Um, an analogy, I interviewed uh, this very successful Christian singer-songwriter named Toby Mack, and he told me that the success he found the success in writing Christian music was not to make it so blatant I'm singing about God and Jesus but rather to sing a song that if you were looking to hear a song about God and Jesus and his love for you you would hear that but if you heard you might just hear a love song you might hear a song about how someone cares about their husband or that he writes it in a vague way so that you can apply what you're looking for. And that happens with the Lost Boys. So clearly what's going on is a metaphor for something else. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? Mm, I don't really know. Okay. So... So you you just looked at it and you're like this is a vampire movie with teenagers yeah. done and okay yeah and 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 before I go into all and there's this, not that's that's the thing also is that there's not like really a love story there's not that's a good point it, I wonder like, why there's not yeah star like they they never like they don't explain anything with that either well that is part of a theory so um, okay so it might help to know. That the way that the Lost Boys script started... Okay, let's just take the Lost Boys. Have you heard of any other Lost Boys in movies or literature? There's a famous group of Lost Boys. No. All right. It's from Peter Pan. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh. Right. Um, And in that, Wendy's brother is named Michael. And I don't know if that Michael is connected to this Michael, but this... The green light for the Lost Boys started with a Goonies go vampire okay, yeah. concept. Yeah, I the entire time I was watching this movie, I was like, I feel like I'm watching the Goonies. Like this is exactly what it like. It just felt so Goonies, right? And it was supposed to be originally tweens who were the vampires, and then the Frog Brothers were supposed to be eight years old. So that was the original concept. And then that's when Richard Donner had it, and he was going to direct it, and he's the director of, of Superman, among other things. Yeah. Because uh, we get lots of Superman references, a lot of them, in the film, from the love of the comic books, but even, you know, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Like, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. Um, so he, that's the script he was going to do. Very family-friendly fair was the idea. And then Joel Schumacher took over. And Joel Schumacher, of course, came from St. Elmo's Fire, and yeah. what did he do? You know, he has very sexy twenty somethings, and th- that's the kind of films very he makes. Very famous actors that are all in the same movies. <laughs> it's true, but you know, the thing we know them as very famous actors now. But when Joel Schumacher cast them in Saint Elmo's Fire, they were not famous. I mean, Ali Sheedy was famous because she had done War Games and she had been in several things. The Breakfast Club had not come out when he 
when he um, when he cast them in St. Elmo's Fire. And so most of those actors, I mean, Rob Lowe had been around, but yeah. he hadn't really broken through yet. And, um, and nobody had heard of Demi Moore. I mean, she was on a soap opera. So it really, like, he made them all super famous. And so he's like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and that's basically the case. In this one, Corey Feldman, who had been in The Goonies, yep. And so that's how he got the invite to be a part of this because Richard Donner was like, we need this kid. And, um, and the other Corey. And, and Corey Haim had done Lucas and he had been in Silver Bullet and he'd had a couple of things. And he, so they, bo- they both were like Tiger B regulars, yeah. you know, yeah. like 12 year old girls were in love with them. Um, but and they the, still are. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of them, though, I mean, nobody'd heard of Jason Patrick, no one had seen them. Um, Jamie Gertz was was coming up through the ranks. You know, um, Kiefer Sutherland had been in Stand By Me uh, with Corey Feldman, um, but he was pretty much fresh off of that. There wasn't a lot on his resume either. And so, of course, Diane Weist had already won an Oscar, and um, Edward Herman, those were different. We don't care about the adults. They're not relevant to the story. They never are. (laughs) And then the other two, and then we had um, the two two beautiful, long-haired vampires. They were models. And then in in real life, and then we have uh, Star, and we have Bill from Bill yeah. and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. which had been filmed already, which had not come out yet. Okay. If you remember, that was stalled for a long time before it came out. I was extremely hurt they killed him first. I know, Marco, <laughs> Marco. I know because you're just like Bill. Like there's goodness in him. There's love. Don't don't kill Marco. He can be redeemed. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he was the first one to go. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, so there was this whole Peter Pan thing going on, and then Joel Schumacher took it over, and they rewrote the whole script. And they did keep some things from the original. For instance, the— Superman. The scene <laughs> the scene where they have Michael in the, you know, hotel cave, you know, their home, and they're feeding him, and it's maggots, and it's worms, you know. Um, that was originally written in the first script. Um Okay, so so Joel Schumacher takes over, and he puts a lot of other stuff. And what is that other stuff? So to me, when I watched the film, what I saw was, you know, they move to a new town. Michael becomes very distant from his family. He's sleeping all day. He's wearing sunglasses during the day. He won't, you know, the mother's like, take off your sunglasses. And he takes them off, and he looks away quickly because he doesn't want her you know, maybe the sun hurts or maybe he doesn't want her to see his bloodshot eyes or his eyes are dilated. You know, now do you see where I'm going? So like this, what was going on in the late eighties was, you know, we were, there was like a drug binge, you know, that was happening. It was really overtaking 1985. It's probably the height of the drug years. And, um, in particular, Joel Schumacher had been affected by that. He had had a, a drug habit that kind of he says he he took care of in 1979, and it was an issue for him. So you know, in Saint Elmo's Fire, we do see that Demi Moore's character is getting a little too friendly with Coke. Although honestly, we talked about this on that one on on that episode. They don't really address it as her having a, a drug problem as much as they're concerned about her sleeping with her boss. Yeah. <laughs> but. But he had actually sent Demi Moore to rehab before she could be a part of the film. So he personally saw and and knew that drugs were an issue. And so I'm watching this, and I'm like, this seems to me like the kid who, you know, starts 
being um, insolent, you know, to authority and to his family, and he's hanging out with the wrong crowd, and they're doing drugs, and the parents don't know how to reach him. You know, like, aren't we friends anymore, Michael? And can't we talk? And he just is becoming more and more distant from his family as he doesn't know how to get out of this hole that he's dug. And he's, you know, has these toxic friends that he continues to go out with, even though he knows they're bad news. And that's what I saw. So I did do some digging, and I did find that Joel Schumacher said that that's what the allusion is to is like, you know, kids who were doing heroin at the time. And that is sort of what, what he saw and how he was addressing that with Michael. So that's what I saw in the film. I saw it as sort of a cautionary tale and the idea that your, you know, <laughs> that your, uh, that, you know, that these kids are bad news and yet you hang out with them anyway. And you don't know what the consequences can be of that, right? Like we as adults are like, don't do it. You don't know what's going to happen. Something bad could happen. And when you're young, you're you just, like, but something amazing could happen. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Well, when you're young, this is a fact. You feel immortal. And I think that ties into the Lost Boys too. You feel like you could jump off a roof. Nothing's going to happen to you. What are you talking about? When you're young, you feel like you won't die and that's that's like studies have shown that is true yeah and so that's part of you know that's also why uh they recruit young people to be in the armed forces because once you're once your brain's fully developed and you're over 25 that's when that sense of mortality sinks in and you start to be able to see consequences you're like oh no i'm not what no, I am not signing up for a war. I will not go fight. But when you're 18, you're like, yeah, let's go fight the bad guys. You know, like, let's go. I've never been like that in my entire life. Okay, okay, <laughs> fair. That might not be you. But that is generally a youthful thing. So I think we see a lot of that play out in The Lost Boys on a lot of levels. But while that may have been Joel Schumacher's intention, <laughs> what do you take away from the Lost Boys? You take away nothing. That the ba- well, right. <laughs> you take away that the bad boys, the toxic guys, the vampires, the ones who will kill you or make you a killer, are sexy, edgy, cool. <laughs> they're awesome. You want to hang, you know, like you get that they're bad, but you're still. They made them so sexy and so hot and so alluring. And, of course, you know, this is bad boy syndrome all over again. I think, personally, The Vampire Diaries has much hotter vampires, but okay, that is just me. Well, the long hair, I mean, I guess it was the 80s, but that long hair just looked ratty. <laughs> like, the two vampires with the, like, yeah. mullets, kind of. Right. Well, I know that the mullets are funny in this, right? The mullets are funny. So there's all kinds of mullets going on <laughs> <laughs> different versions. Corey Feldman's character, um, Edgar, has the full mullet, right? Mm-hmm. That's like a straight on, straight Yeah, up. but that's his, that's, that's, he's a frog brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then Marco is like, he had, in my opinion, the worst kind of mullet. <laughs> that was just like all that long hair in the back. That kind of dog the bounty hunter kind mm-hmm. of like. Um, and then the two other guys kind of was like kind of long and crazy. And then they, you see it in, with the sexy sax player too, you know, the, I still believe he's got it, but he's got his sort of in like a man ponytail bun. I don't know. It was, I'm, 
yeah. <laughs> it was all slicked back. It was a weird town. <laughs> it was a weird town, but and it was a weird time. It wasn't, but the film was reflecting the style the, of the time and yeah. the stuff that was cool. No, I know. Um, another thing that bothers me about this movie is why is no one talking about the fact that everyone's missing? Like, why is no one talking about, like, why is no one leaving? Why is no one moving out? And why are right. people moving in? <laughs> right. Like, why? Why does Grandpa let them come? You'd be like, you know, we seem to be having an issue with young people dying. <laughs> or not dying, missing, going missing. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and then, you know, Sam's running around. I mean, although I will say, Sam feels like he is too old to need a babysitter. And Michael is forced to stay home and watch while... Um, mom goes on a date with Max, mm-hmm. right? So I guess they were looking out after him to some degree. But you're right. This was the 80s, Riley, and kids just went missing, and that did not change how parents that <laughs> You still walked home from school alone. That's the way it was. And that's why I say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. So when you think about that being in the context of Peter Pan, and my understanding is Star was originally not a girl, but a boy. Really? Yeah. And so, but you think about it in the context of Peter Pan. Peter Pan's this great, you know, is this charismatic leader of all these boys, and he's, there's something about him that makes them give up their lives and follow him, right? And so, um, so that, so they change Star to be a girl, to be the one to sort of lure him in. I mean, Star is bait, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And she knows she's being used as bait. She likes him, though, she says, but the problem was I liked you. And 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 that's kind of becomes the, the, the issue. Um, but you mentioned that you didn't understand why there was such a light romance. Yeah. Although they have sex, because it's an 80s movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they do. That was like, I don't even know. There are a lot of people who think that this, the Lost Boys, is um, homoerotic. It's probably the best way to to put it. It's not necessarily like uh, someone called it queer cinema, or really, yeah. I don't see. I don't see I don't it that see way. That but there, in and even Kiefer Sutherland says that the scene on the bridge between Michael and David is very sensual. It's very intimate. Um, I mean, to me, I just think I, I hate it when we over-sexualize everything. And I just think these are just, I mean, there's always been gangs of guys. There's always been, you know, biker gangs and group. But they're, the reference, they're, the, their point of this are a couple of things. One, of course, you know, a guy biting down on another man's neck is a very, you know. Kind of sexual in a way, I guess. Right. But he's a vampire. So, like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> and, and so Count Dracula, while you know, not originally a good-looking man, but rather Nosferatu, <laughs> like long nails and was scary, has always kind of had these sort of overtones because that is so, like, sensual to be, like, you know, nibbling on someone's neck. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but they, but the the people who see that see that the biker gang was sort of dressed like uh, a lot of the, there was a in the gay community there were uh, people who would wear black leather jackets and you know, kind of biker clothes. And so that's sort of one idea um, that there's all the, that no one's interested in star. <laughs> you know, you think that they, that, that David's protective of You're her right. at the beginning from, but really 
David's just using her to lure in Michael. Well, you know, she could also be one of the reasons, because remember, she didn't, like, kill anyone or anything, and I don't mm-hmm. think the little boy did either. Right. But, um, do you think, I like, I want to know, this is stuff that I wish was explained. Why did they choose to have a five-year-old right. <laughs> turn into a vampire? Why Why would they choose Star? They're a group of boys. Why would they choose Star? And David doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like they're dating. She obviously had sex with Michael. Yeah. So, like... And that wasn't an issue at all. And I feel like he knew that and, like, didn't have a problem with it. So, like, my question is, why would you bring that in? I'm more curious about the little boy, but I feel like Star could have just been brought in to, like, mother him. Yeah. It could be... Well, and Laddie is the one... See, I'm confused about Laddie, because the way he's dressed... Looks like it's Civil War era, but then he's on a milk carton that he's missing. Yeah, and he has long, shaggy hair that you know I, that. I, so the whole thing's a little confusing to me about that. But it feels like, and then he almost attacked um, Corey, the Frog Brothers, remember, mm-hmm. and the other Corey, right? Because they're weak, because they are starting to turn, and they are weak, and they need to feed. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they don't really talk about in this film how, like you said, Vampire Diaries, you have 24 hours, but they don't really talk about how long it takes. You just know that they're going to get weaker and weaker unless they feed. Yeah. And once they feed, they become immortal and they're a full vampire until they're in, they're a half vampire. So, you know, I guess if we, they don't explain how Laddie and Star were turned. It feels like Star was, is being used to lure in you know, victims. Well, yeah, that could work. Either yeah. future vampires or victims. It is interesting because David sees something in Michael and he's like, I want, you know, be immortal, be one of us. He sees him and is like, I want you to be part of my gang. Yeah. But in the beginning, he said that he was going to that he was going to be Star's first kill. And then, when they first meet, he almost drives Michael off a cliff. Mm-hmm. But Michael fell right before. Well, they didn't know each other then, right? So it's just <laughs> Well, like, that doesn't make sense. If he was meant to be Star's first kill... I don't know. No, the first time he saw Star, nothing happened. He just saw her and she disappeared. And then she sees him later on the boardwalk. Oh. Remember? On a different day. Oh. And so at that point... All right, mystery solved there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, there is a third thing going on with this film. And the third thing going on with this film that people see and that Joel Schumacher has acknowledged as part of it is that, you know, in the 80s, the divorce rate went up a lot. So kids in the 70s, there were hard, you hardly knew anyone with divorced parents. And then in the 80s, everyone's parents were getting divorced. And so you had all these broken homes and... Uh, and that was new. And so we used to call them broken homes. We don't call them broken homes anymore. Now it's just like life. Um, and there was a concern about that. And, and people were thinking, oh, you know, we, we, you know, we, you can't have like a single mother raising two boys without a father figure or a father raising his, his boys without a mother, you know, what's going to happen. It's going to be awful. And so this film is sort of addressing this new family dynamic and, you know, really showing that, the mom is, you know, like, the family would be okay. Like, they would be okay. Yeah. And that Max is like, oh, you know, the boys need a mother, and what's going to happen? Um, so there's some, I mean, I don't really feel like it gets too far into it, but they are, th- those issues are there, and the Lost Boys is sort of, some people see some resolution and messaging about about the family unit. The only thing I got away from this that I can let everyone else know 
is that when someone asks you to invite them in, you don't. <laughs> Ever. 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 No, you have to be like, come in. They can, If they're like, well, aren't you going to invite me in? Yeah. That means no. I'm Honestly, <laughs> you're a vampire, and now it's, I was going to invite you in. When and he, no, I'm not. When he's, when, when... Uh, Corey's character said, like, oh, I think it's Max. And then Max came over for dinner, and he said, will you invite me in? I was like, Max is definitely the number one person. Mm Because he's, like, smart. Which he could probably be the Peter Pan of this, if you think about it. Oh, no, he's the Captain Hook. You would think he's the Captain Hook? Why? Oh, I see what you're saying. He's the leader. He made all of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Hmm. And his mom's the Wendy. Interesting. Who's Tinkerbell? (laughs) Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Interesting, right? Okay. Well, I feel like that's probably a good thing to end on then. (laughs) So just remember, if anyone says invite me in, say no. (laughs) That's all I can give you. Uh, Good lessons here. All right, I'm Tara McNamara. And I'm Riley Roberts. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. (laughs) Follow us on all social media. At 80s Movie Guide. Thanks.